Hello and welcome to the Tea with NSP. It's me, Rhys James, committee member at NSP and recent graduate in music at Kingston University. Today on the Tea with NSP, we have Morgan, the regular voice of the podcast, and the other female identifying members of the Student Pride Committee discussing feminism, internalised misogyny, inclusivity, issues faced daily by women and sharing their stories and experiences identifying as female in this mad, mad world. A student pride exists to empower LGBTQ plus students and provide opportunity whilst remaining free and accessible. The event and this podcast would not be possible without our sponsors. EY have been major supporters of our organisation for a phenomenal 12 years, moving with us across the country and continually affirming and representing their commitment to the LGBT young people. We are thrilled that EY are returning as headline sponsors for 2021, enabling us to release the fantastic and exciting content we have planned for the NSP Festival at the end of April. Now, trigger warning, there is a discussion on rape culture, sexual assault and the sexualization on young bodies. And this special episode is dedicated to all female identifying individuals of the world who are doing the damn thing. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Welcome to NSP's International Women's Day podcast. Um, I'm Morgan, but you'll know me if you've been listening to the podcast beforehand. I normally do the voiceovers and I'm the co-chair of NSP. I use she, her pronouns, and I identify as pansexual. Today, I'm joined by some of the beautiful women on the NSP committee. Nina, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Nina. Um, I use she, her pronouns. I am pansexual. And I am secretary at NSP. Hi, I'm Amelia. I use she, her pronouns and identify as bisexual. And within the NSP committee, um, I write blogs and work within social media. Uh, I'm Farah. Uh, I use she, her pronouns, identify as bisexual, and I'm the logistics officer. Hi, my name is Olga. I uh, use she, her pronouns. I'm doing outreach and researching the rainbow panel on National Student Pride, and I identify as lesbian. We're doing an International Women's Day podcast today because uh, women's issues are everybody's issues. You shouldn't be listening just because you are female. You should be listening because it is your problem as well, basically. (laughs) So we've got some really cool questions that we're going to bring up today. I think we'll start with a fun one um would anyone like to talk about who inspired you growing up i was really lucky because when i was growing up my mum is a massive feminist like chained herself to railings type feminist i'd say in part my mum has inspired me a lot frida carlo has been a massive part of my life like to the point i even got a tattoo of her lots of women from history my mum would specifically find women in history that like i could look up to so people like Boudicca and queen elizabeth all these amazing women so just kind of surrounded by great women all the time i feel like everyone's got someone in their family that they kind of i idolize a little bit like yeah. i always have my nan looking up to her my nan's always worked in like west end theater and like doing costumes and they've always been like this guide for me like they used to take me around London and we'd look at like the Boudicca statue and yep you know my nan was my icon the first thing that comes to mind is my mum as well um but the funny thing is that she doesn't like to say that she's a feminist she hates it and for me it's very funny because she comes from 
uh, a different like cultural background is quite old school you know not always in the best way and she thinks feminist is a dirty word but everything she does and how she lives couldn't be more feminist she's you know very strong woman and she has a great career so she's very inspiring and same for my grandma I know that you say that because my mom's kind of the same she's like everything about her is like screams feminist and like a strong woman and she was a single mom I mean I think raising kids is like incredibly hard but I also know as a kid like I was a massive handful and the fact that she managed to do that by herself whilst working like really low pay jobs is like incredible but at the same time she won't call herself feminist because she's like oh well you know I don't want people to think that I hate men and I'm like yeah but in half our conversations you sound like you hate men so (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't really add up there does it eventually she'll come around I think for me I always found comfort growing up in like women's history I was such a history nerd like I was I mean I was a nerd all over really to be honest and actually I found a lot of interest in looking up to overlooked women in history and actually Angela Carter is probably most well known for the bloody chamber she wrote a series of poems looking at the wives of famous men and actually the way more interesting one thing that I do find really interesting is the even just now that we've brought up is the idea of they're really feminist but they won't call themselves a feminist it wasn't until weirdly I actually grew up and was more into society that I realized that feminism was seen as a bad word because where my brother is a feminist my mum is a feminist like literally everybody in my life is a feminist that I never ever had it associated as a negative thing to be so what like what is it that makes it a bad like a dirty word I think it is just that idea of like if you're a feminist you hate men everybody in my family but me including my nan who is like the biggest icon would never say they were a feminist Mm. I was brought up in a school it was an all-girls school and it was very much almost preaching that like you should be a feminist like this is something this is a good thing to be um to the point where my family got so sick of it and they're like oh you go to like a feminazi school I think my brother especially took it as an attack on him and like an attack on men Is it also because the idea of being a feminist is linked with the idea of taking action? Maybe somebody would feel uncomfortable identifying as a feminist without having quite, without having actually done something for the cause. Like people may feel uncomfortable saying that and and almost, almost feel like an imposter. But then at the same time, are you not taking action by being a feminist in its own right? I think even just the word itself, such a political thing to say, even though it's not. Because if you look at literally any definition, it's just equality between all genders. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very simplistic ideology that has somehow become so political. I think in part, it's to do with the rhetoric around it. It's to do with the way it's discussed in media. It's just like social circles and stuff like that, that it was actually shocking for Benedict Cumberbatch to have a t-shirt saying, this is what a feminist looks like. Like that was like groundbreaking, absolutely off the wall politics. And it was like, no, he's just saying, I don't think women are subservient to men. I agree with that but I think for my mom for example she is very traditional so she does think in a different way and maybe I don't agree with that but even though she lives the feminist ideology but what she really believes is that it's not how it should be and it's funny it's like something weird because she believes that a man should be the head of the family and a woman should be like cooking or whatever but that's you know her thoughts but the reality of how she actually lives is completely different you know so maybe somewhere deep inside she did choose that the different kind of life but maybe she just it's like internal like you can't really accept it or maybe it doesn't align with how you were brought up maybe our generation is like yeah 
I'm a feminist and I live as a feminist and we're trying to you know talk about it a lot but for me it's interesting how the other generation like older generation even though they live as a feminist like as feminists they just don't want to admit it for some reason. I also think it's a quite an interesting point that you mentioned your mum kind of has traditional views in the sense that maybe the man should be the head of the family. Yeah a part of feminism is accepting those viewpoints I do think in the sense that like if you are a woman and you want to live a more traditional lifestyle that is your choice to do so and that is part of feminism still I also think like with my family none of them would call themselves feminists and they're all very like I don't know like not not so much like traditional they're traditional in some senses I think more so than they can sometimes realize and sometimes when you bring up feminism especially there's sometimes can tie into a level of homophobia because they can sort of equate being a feminist with the fact that you are attracted to other women as basically as like a catch-all like it also doesn't help that my family are all very like from a ex-mining town up north and then I'm the only one in my family that was brought up in Brighton which is obviously very liberal hippie area and then also I'm vegan so they should have (laughs) all of it into one like stereotype so I can't be like hey I think that all genders should be treated equally without them being like well you're just an angry liberal vegan lesbian and I'm like I think I'd still be a feminist, even if I was a man that loved burgers. I think that leads us kind of quite nicely onto one of our other questions for today. So what does internalized misogyny look like for you? How did like how did it play out for you? You know, when I was younger, you vying for male attention. Yeah. But still, you kind of went through the pick me kind of phase. And I think that was something I had to like grow out of. But how did you like, because you said you kind of, you learned not to, but how did you unlearn it? Because it looks so different in everybody. It really does. I mean, to be honest, growing up, I was, I was quite insecure. Like I wasn't very, I, I wasn't very sure of myself. It kind of manifested in like jealousy and envy. Mm. And I was kind of like, oh, well, I'm, I'm not like her who I'm jealous of. Like I'm actually intelligent. I read my book as if like some, some like stunning, beautiful girl can't also be intelligent and read books. It's just ridiculous, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So I, I guess with myself, I just became more confident in myself as I grew up. I came to like love myself I no longer felt the need to compete or pick me and then as I progressed further along I thought well why am I competing and being a pick me girl in the first place and that's also where I came to terms a bit more with sexuality and and I think it all comes back to self-love really there's such a thing on TikTok at the moment of like the pick me girl culture like I keep seeing it come up but it is putting it's putting it down, which I just love to see. Oh, mm-hmm. I do. I love and I I have a weird relationship because I love it and I hate it at the same time because I think in the weirdest way possible, it leads people into finding themselves like a little bit yeah. more. If that makes sense. So I hate the idea of like someone's got to vie for like men's attention. Like, oh, I have to get a boyfriend now because everyone else has a boyfriend. Like, I hate that. But it also teaches you something about yourself. Because you mentioned TikTok. Mine also, like, my internalized misogyny, I think a huge part of it did actually come from social media. I hated it, but I was the 14-year-old, like, 13, 14-year-old girl on Tumblr. Like, the one that, oh was into all the fandoms and was into all the different kind of like subcultures of Tumblr. And I thought I was like really, really cool. And because I... (laughs) And because all these other women, and like you said, I didn't realize it came from insecurity, but it also came from the way that women are portrayed in media. It all comes down to essentially kind of the images that we have of ourselves. For a long time, I thought it was mutually exclusive of like being into makeup meant that you didn't read books. And so because I did read books, because I did kind of absorb also a lot of very male orientated culture, like 
Sherlock, Supernatural, that kind of stuff is actually very male orientated. And so it was that whole thing of like, oh, I'm not like other girls. Oh, I'm one of the boys, all this kind of stuff. And then you realize that actually that's the patriarchy trying to profit off of you. And so I actually saw something that was like, why are you letting the patriarchy profit off of you? And I was like, oh my God. And it completely blew my mind. And then I had to do this whole like process of, there's a lot of guilt involved as well because of all the women that I realized that I'd probably put down and also the amount of times that I'd put myself to not like certain things. I was like, oh, I can't like pink. Did everyone else have that phase where they just weren't, they did not like pink because pink was girly? I used to have yeah. an entire pink bedroom and I got to a stage and I was like, no, I have to get rid of pink. I want it gray because gray is emotions. <laughs> everyone who had internalized misogyny near enough had a phase where they just would not like pink and now pink is one of my favorite colors um with super hulock and like i was definitely i was that teenager i had that tumblr um i can't give you my url i deleted it a century ago i think if i ever got around to doing like a phd or something like that's what i'd want to do it in is like women in like nerd culture and the nerd canon and stuff Jesus, like, yeah, I 100% was that one teenager that was like, I read comic books, so I don't wear makeup because I'm better than all other girls because I think that other girls can't read picture books. Um, <laughs> which is so asinine stupid. The idea that you're smarter because you can read a comic book when they're mostly pictures. And I think that so many girls go through it. And like you said, like, it is a learning curve and it does kind of lead you on to, like, to learn better things. I remember like, being a teenager and hanging out with like other boys and going with boys to Comic-Con and stuff. And then just having to walk around looking at loads of stuff that I didn't care about because all the stuff I was interested in was like one area of the convention center. And they wanted to go look at like anime stuff and giggle about the like mouse pad thing that you get with the anime girl's boobs on it. And I was like, this makes me feel weird. And I just <laughs> ended up going off by myself and like queuing up for hours to meet Edgar Wright, like that kind of thing. Because I'm like, don't, <laughs> I'm not going to walk around a convention center and just do what these boys want to do like it does it puts you on a learning curve to actually have to learn some stuff about yourself and make you kind of reevaluate what things you actually do like and how much of the stuff you're kind of just pretending to like that reminds me so much of like the whole gamer girl thing that's going on at the moment it's like you can't be a gamer girl because if you're a gamer girl you're doing it to impress the boys nobody ever said gamer boy did they nobody ever said that a boy was being a gamer boy because he wanted to get a girlfriend <laughs> growing up um, I was massively into World of Warcraft. Now, World of Warcraft is a very nerdy reputation. And again, from going off, you're saying, Morgan, about being like a gamer girl, thought it was like quite embarrassing. And actually, I hid it, and none of my friends ever knew. It was something, I would go back, I would log onto my clan, and I would go and go raid. I was, I was always part of a horde. I was add an orc. And it was all very private and separate from my life in school because I didn't want that stigma of being a gamer girl. And... There was also the internalised misogyny part of things where I didn't want boys to think I was this weird butch kind of girl. But really, who cares? You can, you can be butch and a gamer girl. You can be very feminine, feminine and a gamer girl. You can be whoever you want to play games. There's also an expectation for women when you do like stuff like that, stuff that's especially male dominated, is you suddenly have to have a PhD in that thing because you can't like World of Warcraft. You have to know every single little thing that's ever been made about the creation of World of Warcraft. Okay, me and my friends at uni, we meet up once a week and we play Dungeons and Dragons. Like I have my dice and I have all my little figures and stuff and I spent ages in D&D Beyond and I still had other guys I play with. I've like overheard them talking to other people going, I just don't think Dungeons and Dragons is her thing. I don't think D&D is her thing. And I was like, well, what did I spend 30 quid on D&D Beyond for, for you to think that it's not <laughs> my thing? I was like, like, especially when you've been friends with someone for two years, you're like, look, I'm not doing this to impress you, am I? I just go find a new friend. I'm not spending 30 quid on something that's not my thing. I never liked like um, gaming stuff. I was never into it. So for me, it's a bit different experience and how we 
shows in my life. So I remember when my grandma said, don't trust girls, keep your friends close, but kind of don't share too much. So when you have a boy that will try to steal him, lo and behold, I'm not even interested in boys. And, you know, like it's, you know, I have different relationships with girls. But the thing is, for me, it was a eureka moment when I was at a festival, I was like 18 or 19. And I saw a beautiful girl and uh, she was by and her boyfriend was by and they were like just gorgeous couple. And I was just like, I had a kind of like a light bulb in my head. I was like, I don't need to be wanting to be her. I can just appreciate her. And I think that's when everything switched. I mean, Goldsmith's education also helped because my understanding of the world was literally deconstructed and I was left with ruins to build my own and it was hard but it was so so needed so for me that was like when it clicked and I was like okay I don't need to compete I don't need to hate I don't need to be jealous of I can just appreciate them not necessarily everyone needs to become a lesbian or you know queer but for me it was that moment when I started seeing it and I also uncovered what it actually was. But it's so true about the competition between women because like without trying to bang on about the media again you see it all the time with like two there'll be two female leads in something and all of a sudden it'll be like oh who did like who did better because I love Marvel and the massive comparison between Captain Marvel and Black Widow because they were the only two prominent female characters. They immediately thought they had to pit them against each other. Like, oh, who would win? But you see it in literally everything. Jealousy that I had when I was growing up of literally every girl ever, because I was like, oh, they're prettier, or they have this, or they have this. Mm-hmm. And then you realize that like, no, you can be friends with them. You can also enjoy the fact that they're really smart because then you can have really fun conversations with them. You can enjoy the fact that they're really funny because you can have a laugh with them. We feel like as women, we need to compete for this one place out of 10 places that nine of them are for men and there is one space for a woman and all of us are fighting each other together instead of getting there and making more space for women you know because I believe there is enough space for everyone every single woman who wants to do a particular thing we don't need to fight each other like it's very pertinent in the workplace isn't it I mean in the last job I worked at I just kind of assume inclusivity would be a thing like shock it's not if you look at the senior membership team or the board members out of board members of like 10 there was maybe one there's one white woman zero people of color all white men all the senior leadership were white men bar like a few rare exceptions rather than fighting each other for that one premium spot make make the sports more inclusive are you talking about the government by any chance <laughs> Has anybody seen those pictures where they edit out all the men in political, like political photos and stuff like that? They edit out all the men. So often there'll either be one woman or the room will be empty. You don't even realise how few women are actually in there because we're so accustomed. We see one woman and we're like, oh my God, they're inclusive. Oh my God, they actually have one woman in there. They did um, a study once where they were trying to see how we perceive like women taking up space within films. And so if there was 50-50 men and women within a film, like main roles and stuff like that, most people responded by saying, oh, there was way more women. If there was, say for instance, there was like five men and two women, they'd be like, oh yeah, that's about even. It just kind of shows the the idea of taking up space, the idea of having one spot is because that's all that kind of people can stomach sometimes. It's just that one spot for somebody like to be a woman. And also like sometimes when you try to point out 
talks of people like, hey, there's like nowhere near enough women in this thing. Or like, hey, you should include more women in your workplace or in the thing you're creating. And like, if we met by a like, oh, cis white guy that's like, oh, well, you know, we can't fit one for every minority. And you're like, when were women the minority? So the idea that like a cis white guy is like, oh yeah, but you know, where are we going to find a space for everyone else? Because you've already filled it with so many men. We can't fit them for the minority. And it's like, look, 50% of them should be women. That's not, that's just representative. That's not just like, I want to see more women everywhere because women are great. It's just representative of people. I feel like if men and women were not so divided in everything, if people in general were not so divided since young age, and men and women were friends, they were like more allowed to talk about different things to each other and not like girls in one corner, boys in another, you know, and girls being told how to be a housewife, boys being like, oh yeah, you, you're going to be an astronaut or I don't know, like something very exciting. If everyone just played together, maybe the friends would help other friends, regardless of the gender, to get to the positions that right now are like reserved for men because men are in power. So they bring their friends to the power. When you were split in the classroom as kids, like when I was in junior school and it would be, especially for sex education, you would have the boys go off to one room, the girls go off to another. And I remember for the majority of my sex education in like my junior and my infant school, it was very split. Yeah. And obviously we'd learn about like menstruation and all of these women's um, sex ed that we needed to know and the boys didn't. And then when it actually came around to um, at the end, we were put together as a class and we watched um, a birth. And so many of the boys were so not used to having seen a vagina before that one of them passed out, two of them threw up, like they were just so not used to it. And even going back to like when you would do PE in junior school when they would separate like so for the most part, we were mixed and you'd have the boys and the girls change in one room. And then there were people like me that started to develop a little bit earlier. And we were told, you know, you need to go and get changed in the toilets because it would not be appropriate for you to get changed in front of the boys. That's a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Once I was in uh, secondary school, I was doing PE and um, in my school, like you were allowed to, you had to wear like a PE top and then the girls could wear like black leggings. And I just ripped my black leggings doing something stupid and then bought some cheap ones from Primark and I had to go into like the PE office because I forgot a hairband and she, I, she was like oh yeah look they're on the shelf um so I turned my back to the, to the PE teacher or something to get the hairband and she like slammed the door and then basically had a go at me because when I turned my back it turns out the leggings were actually kind of thin or like had basically stretched out where my butt is so effectively you could see the outline of my pants through the leggings and she slammed the door and was just like nope you can't go to the sports hall until the entire boys PE team have gone past because you can't walk past the boys PE team if you can see the outline of your pants. And I was like, that's insane. What is wrong with you? And she was like, and then her and some other lady was shouting at me. And I was just standing there being like, I don't know if you know this, but I can't actually see my own butt. And then I just remember one of them saying, you're just lucky that you don't have a male PE teacher today. And I was like, I'm taking myself home. Goodbye. <laughs> I'm not doing it. I mean, one of the things that I think is particularly pertinent in that is this idea of rape culture. And I know that's like quite a difficult subject, but it doesn't start when you're an adult. It starts when you're a kid. It starts with policing girls' bodies and saying, oh, boys, oh, but boys can't see that. I mean, I was so fortunate that my mom never told me to cover up when I was at home. Didn't matter if like my uncle or whatever was coming around because he was, she'd be, and she was worried about, you know, whatever. Then 
should be telling him off, not me. That's why that when I went to primary school and secondary school, when, you know, you get told that you can't wear that, you can't show your bra strap because what if you've got a male teacher? And it's like, well, why do you have teachers that you're concerned about for children's safety? Because under the law, when you're in school, even in sixth form, you are considered a child. Should we not be more concerned with teachers and male students sexualizing children's bodies what was the earliest experience anyone's got like being told that you couldn't wear something then like or you had to cover up i think mine was 10 11 who by one of uh teachers on a residential trip that i was at because i actually used to get really uncomfortable with people telling me about how oh you shouldn't wear this shouldn't wear that and i also was like um morgan and i actually did develop quite young it meant that i was very self-conscious of the fact that i had like breasts and stuff like that i mean they were obviously teeny tiny because it was like prepubescent but they were there but i used to wear a lot of boys clothes just because it made me so uncomfortable and very clearly boys clothes i would get particularly with the residential trip where you can wear your own clothes and stuff like that there were the occasional comments of like oh you can't wear that you need to change and i was like i am 11 years old on a camping trip where we're getting messy and dirty that i have to wear different clothes like it's just gonna get ruined anyway and i'm gonna pass out in a sleeping bag at like six o'clock in the evening so what do you want from me (laughs) if it wasn't my parents i think mine was actually on my residential trip as well and I can't think of the name of what they call, but it's like a swimsuit on the front and a bikini on the back. And I would have been 10. And we went down to Cornwall for this residential trip. And one of the things you could do in the morning was go for like a sea swim. So I put this on and I was like, oh, I feel really cute. Like my mom's bought me a new swimsuit. Like I'm going to go for a sea swim. Like it wasn't even like I'm going to sit there and sunbathe or something. The teachers used to come in in the morning, make sure that we were all ready to go so that we could all go down together. And she came in and she was like, Morgan, I don't think that's appropriate for you to wear. And I was like, why? I don't get it. And she was like, you need to change and you need to find another swimsuit because you can't go down wearing that. And I was like, I, I do not get it. And I hadn't gone on a swimsuit with me because that was the one I had. And they, they had to put up with it, but they were so like, you have to wear a wetsuit over that or like you have to make sure that you're going to go last and that you don't go in front of the boys because they can't, so they can't see your back. And like, it was a big thing. Like, they, And it's always stuck with me as well. Yeah, I remember being in um, junior school and I like, started to wear like near the end of junior school it's probably about like 10-ish as well um you know you get those like kids bras what are they called like training bra things training and bra. I started to wear yeah so that's why one of those uh but my school used to have like white polo shirts with like the little school logo on it and I had like a big baggy one because I like baggy clothes and even if it was baggy I for some reason the material of them or maybe because they were white I'm not sure you would always be able to see the training bar like kind of through it a little bit. And I just remember like this last half of second of uh, junior school constantly having other kids. I don't really remember if any teachers said anything, but I just remember other kids all the time being like, oh, I can see your bra through your top. And I was like, this is the only top I can wear. Speaking of like school uniforms, though, one thing that I found consistent with a lot of women is the most times I get catcalled, the most times I get sexualized on the street is when I'm in my school uniform. So with um, my old school, you wore uniform until you got to year 11. So until you finished your GCSEs. And then after when you were doing your A-levels, you wore business stuff and I remember from being 11 all the way till 16 near enough at least three four maybe even five six times a week the amount of times I'd get beeped at I'd get catcalled I'd get shouted at all different kind of things the second I started my A-levels and I was wearing business stuff nothing but like it went down so much the second I stopped wearing my school uniform I remember at my school uh, girls used to get in trouble all the time it was like every school assembly it was like come on girls you need to stop wearing your skirts too short 
all the time and all the girls being like yeah but why though so you used to be able to just wear like a black skirt and then they were like well girls won't stop wearing their skirts too short so now you have to wear a school one that's just black but it's got a logo on it made it so that you couldn't roll it up as easy people still figured out how obviously but they like try to make it so you intentionally couldn't roll it up too short so then all the girls just started buying them really big and then taking in the waist so they were wearing like floor length skirts just for fun until we eventually got an assembly where they were like girls you need to stop wearing your skirts too long and we were all like well, what the hell <laughs> what do you want from me <laughs> we used to have kilts like we used to have to wear kilts to school so we never had that issue of like having to take the waist in because obviously it was like basically a rectangle you could take it in as much as you wanted but we used to roll them over and because of the material the rolls were so thick that like if you tried to like hide it there'd be a roll like an inch and a half thick underneath your blouse my parents bought me the longest kilt that they physically could when I was in year seven I'm very short I'm five foot so they bought me the longest kilt and it basically was down to my ankles <laughs> and I remember like being in year seven and eight and all the other girls were like oh why don't you roll your kilt up I was like because if I roll my kilt up I'm gonna have five inches of a roll at my waist like I have no choice it's so interesting kind of listening to like everyone's stories about like clothes like growing up and like being you know made to feel uncomfortable in your own body and what you wear so young I never really experienced that in terms of being policed because I never developed Breasts, really like I mean I did but I went through puberty very late uh, when I was in at year nine year ten you know I'm not I'm, I'm very flat chested and I think that is a big reason behind it and not only that going through school I would actually pray I was so jealous I was like why can't that be me and you know I never needed bras to, to be honest I still don't I'm not wearing one now just letting you know Neither do I. Fuck bras. And I used to get, I used to look at these like, you know, girls with bigger breasts, and I was like, I wish I was you. And I'll, again, eternalized misogyny, I'd be so jealous of them. But really, you don't understand and you don't empathize until later on how difficult that must have been growing up with that. So now I really empathize. I developed early, but I still went through that phase of I'm gonna stuff my bra so that all of the boys <laughs> will like look at these. I hate it when I look back at photos. I have this most embarrassing memory of I'd gone out with it was one of my like my friends at the time, she was a girl, and we'd just gone to walk the dog and I've got like a tank top on and I decided that I was gonna wear two push-up bras and then stuff oh my it. Gosh. Because I was like, what if I walk past a boy that's also walking a dog? Like, <laughs> of course. I just remember coming in the front door. My dad had like picked me up from her house and he hadn't said anything. And I'd come in the front door and my mum had opened the door and she was like, good God, did you go out like that? And I was like, yes. But now I look back on it and I'm like, it's the most embarrassing memory. <laughs> I never used to stuff my bra, but like um, I used to buy bras like four sizes too big, which was just outrageous. I used to buy these like massive push-up bras, but and I kind of thought they fit me because like my nipple be pressed against like the, the, the cushion, but I didn't realize your boob was meant to be in the pocket above it. I thought that was just like like breathable space. As so I actually wasn't until I went to university, and my friend picked up and she was like, "Girl." Like we need to take you to M and S. We need to we need to we need to put you through the ringer because who the hell do you think you are? Like have 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 having like a D cup bra. That's the best story I've heard today. Yeah, yeah that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, but like all, all my growing up, I wore like bras way too big for me. People never realised I was quite flat chested. But like, yeah, it's kind of similar to what you did, Morgan. It's just ways to be like, oh look at me, kind of thing. Kind of a tangent, but does anyone else hate bra fittings? I feel so much shame going in for a bra fitting, and I hate it, and I don't know what that shame is. Oh God, I remember going in when I was, I think about 13, 
probably 12 or 13 and my nan took me to M&S and she was like oh come on we'll get you like I'll buy you a couple of bras um, is everyone's bra fitting at M&S because yeah, like that was it. also me like why is <laughs> Why is that the thing? I mean, I see that that are Ann Summers, and I don't really think Ann Summers is, you know, thirteen-year-old friendly. <laughs> she took me in, and um, obviously the woman was like, "Oh, because you're under, I think it's sixteen, and um, you you have to have a guardian present." Because I asked her, "Is like, can I keep my bra on for you to fit?" And she was like, "No, but yeah, if you feel more comfortable, that's fine." <laughs> so they had to be like, "What size bra are you wearing?" And then take all my measurements, which were basically obsolete because I'd already got a bra on. And it was just the most uncomfortable experience. And I, I still to this day hate going for bra fittings. And I used to work in the lingerie department of MS. It also feels quite embarrassing going in at any age, doesn't it? It feels embarrassing when you're young because you think, oh God, this woman is going to like me- measure my boobs. Like who needs that in my life? Any point over 16, you feel embarrassed because like, why am I going in as a 20 what year old needed my bra being checked out? The only time, the literal only time I wear them is either when I used to work in a creepy old man's pub and I was like, I do not want even the slightest chance of my nipples showing because I just can't be asked for any comments or like more comments than normal. Or if it's some sort of like professional space because apparently nipples are unprofessional. But one thing that I'm very cautious of is obviously in the 1980s, I think it was, you had like burn the bra, you had all the kind of like that type of thing where it was this idea of like, bras were a form of patriarchy and same with like this idea of growing out your hair and all this kind of like you know having hairy armpits and things like that which is where actually I think a lot of the imagery of like bra burning hairy lesbian feminists come from but I think it's also very cautious because sometimes like I know a lot of women that need to wear bras because like otherwise they don't their backs are gonna hurt even it's again it's circling back to what we said right at the beginning of like it's just choice like I'm just choosing not to and I would love to not be have to do it in I'd love to not wear a bra in like every social situation. I think they're just super uncomfortable, you know? I think like now I wear literally just like, they're not sports bras, but they're just very plain and they don't have any wires. I do love how the like nice bras look when you put them on. They It does look nice, mm. but it's just so uncomfortable having like the marks, you know? And after, if you work nine to five coming home, like, of course, like now we don't do that, but before you know when we didn't work from home uh you would like the first thing you would do you would take it off because it's like oh my God, yeah. you know like you can exhale but I just don't know why they can't be more comfortable you know what I mean weirdly I've kind of like found an empowerment in finding pretty lingerie and things I have always loved underwear like my mom's always like it was never a thing for me to buy boring underwear like my mom would always go with me and buy like pretty lacy or like patterned underwear of some kind um, and I remember having a conversation with my aunt and she was like, we don't, we don't need to have to, like, we don't need to make sure that you are wearing matching bra and underwear, do we? Like, she was like, that's the thing you already do. And I was like, well, obviously, yeah, of course. But in recent years, I've just found such an empowerment in like, I love pretty underwear. Like my whole drawer is like, if you're not pretty, you're going like, <laughs> you've got to stay. I remember like um, a bunch of my friends kind of getting really into like pretty underwear and like realizing. That's, that's something they could buy like when we were teenagers or something uh, I was wanting to fit in but realizing that like for me that's just it's just not an interest for me so I do the same thing I wear like bralettes and sports bras and stuff because as much as I don't like wearing wires in my bras I have realized that I don't feel awake until I put on a bra really windy. so even working at home I'll still have to get changed and like get out of my pajamas like put on a bralette and stuff because then once I've sat down I'm like right 
bra is on, brain's in. It's five, I've done with work, yeet. And then I'm like, okay, now I'm wearing my pajamas. Because that's like the only distinction I have between like my clothes and my pajamas is basically, am I wearing a bra? So if I'm not wearing a bra, my brain's like, we're not here then, we're asleep. Going back to a little bit, I it can kind of link a little bit earlier to what we were talking about, the workplace and school. But has anyone got like their most hilarious example of being mansplained to? There's two comic book shops in Brighton, but they're like next door to each other. And one of them has like um, new releases and like modern stuff. And then the other one has like collectible figurines and like old comic books and stuff. And it has like the where the really old ones are in like boxes. They're in like a, a room at the back of the store. And um, I used to always go into the one that had like the new stuff. And one day I was just kind of bored and I went into the one with the old things. And there was this kind of old guy at the, uh, at the counter, like by the door. And I'd not seen him working there before. And I was like going through the comic books and stuff. And he genuinely came up to the door and word for word said hello little lady you do you need help finding anything this is where all the old comics are but next door's where the new ones are i think next door might be what you're looking for and i was there like arm deep in a box of spider-man comics just like please leave me alone <laughs> please don't talk to me honestly the worst it is like excuse me sir you may own this store but like i am this store <laughs> <laughs> like, i am this store I know the store better than you. Um, I, kind, I kind of experienced that quite a lot with gaming. Um, I'm quite into Call of Duty, Modern Warfare, and you kind of get men trying to explain to you the game that you're already quite passionate about. You know, it's not just a discussion where you're talking mutually, talking about a, pa- a shared passion, because it's not framed like that. It's framed like I'm educating you. Maybe it's just nerdy culture. Like there's been so many occasions I do cosplay and sewing and all that sort of thing. And I go to Comic-Con twice a year, every year on the dot. I'm always there. The amount of times that I have had things explained to me at Comic-Con where people will be like, oh, this is X, Y, Z. And you're like, yeah, I know. That's why I'm buying it. What, did you think I was just going to waste 70 quid on something I wasn't going to use? Even stuff like going down to photo shoots and you have a photographer... Um, and I've done modeling in the past and the photographer was like, oh, uh, so because we want to show the be- this beautiful part of your dress off, why don't you like pull it to the front? I'm like, I know that's why I'm doing it. When I was doing my master's degree, there was, um, we had a first lecture with a new lecturer, a woman, and um, she opened, um, you know, the discussion and she asked a question or something and she asked if we have questions. And somebody who is a male basically questioned what she just was talking about. Like he just, and he just started the course. He doesn't have any previous knowledge of the subject that we're talking about. It's his first week. And she's an expert in this. She has a PhD in this subject. And it's a lecturer who you came to study from, uh, who learned from. And oh my God, she shut down, like she shut him down so well. And I absolutely loved that moment. You know, it was so powerful. One of the ones that really cracked me up was, I think it's because where I love makeup, I'm very feminine. Like I've always got like, my hair's kind of faded, but it's normally always pink. And I love like bright colors and all this kind of stuff. So I used to work at a furniture store. I was quite very visible in the uniform, high vis, everything. I would be building because that was part of my job. And I would have men in the team tell me how to build. It would have been okay, but it's the fact that they started later than me. I was midway through the build, clearly like, you know, I know what I'm doing. But the thing that cracked me up is that they would try essentially to read the instructions to me as though that was the revolutionary idea. And I was like, 
the instructions are literally right in front of me. But I also found the one that really cracked me up was when somebody tried to mansplain periods to me. And I was like, come on. They were trying to tell me about how like, they must have heard some sort of snippet about like toxic shock syndrome. And it somehow translated into all tampons are bad. And they were basically like, you shouldn't wear tampons. And I was like, okay, I'm just gonna, you know what, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Enlighten me. And they were like, because you, you, you'll always get toxic shock syndrome. And I was like, oh, Christ alive. Right, no. Also, uh, my other favorite moment of getting mansplained is I had, a, I was explaining to a guy about why I don't like, you know, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Um, I haven't seen it on the West End, but I read the script and I, I really didn't like it. Um, and I was explaining to this guy, like, why I really didn't like this book. And he interrupted me to say, no, 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 because my sister really liked it. So it's really good. And I was like, oh, okay, but it's my opinion that this is bad. He went, no, it's not because it's bad. It's because you're not used to reading in a script format. I'm a writer and I have a drama degree. <laughs> but I've even noticed it in this conversation that we're having, even though there's only female identifying people, is almost the lack of confidence in certain sentences and stuff like that. The amount of times that I have heard or I've said a really good point either in uni or at work, and then I will immediately follow up by, but you know, I'm not sure. Or I might be wrong. Or, oh, um, well, um, um, and you get a lot of that. And you'll make such a concise point or you'll hear such a concise point immediately followed by, oh, but, it, you know, if that makes sense, obviously. And I've never heard that come out of a man's mouth. I've never thought about it like that, but that is very, very true. I've noticed that with um, even writing essays at uni. I'll be, I'll like write it kind of like, almost stream of consciousness style just like ah this is my point about this section and then for like each section of the essay I'll have to go through where I've written because I kind of because I think that this thing and I'm like no I know that this thing is the case or like um I think this might be the case that this is no it is the case that this is there is actually a study that shown men um apply for jobs that they know they don't have all the take all the points whether women um, there's a much less percentage of women who apply for jobs when they don't take all the criteria. So it's basically on like the, the confidence, you know, like I'm definitely going to be able to do this job, even if I don't have any experience and they just go for it. And the same thing with, uh, I think Farah, you mentioned um, about the uni, the classroom. So when people um, are not sure about the answer, if women only raise their hands, if they're 90% sure about the answer, men raise their hand if they're 30% more sure of the, of the answer but it's crazy how little confidence men need to uh, how little assurance they need to actually speak out whether women will probably stay silent even they if they have the answer to the question and for anybody listening because suddenly remembered it was a podcast and not just a really great chit chat but the question is not we want men to stop doing that it's to show that women should start doing that and it's all about confidence and assertion because there was even a study done that the easiest way to stop women from applying to high-end jobs is you put two more zeros at the end of the paycheck. The amount of, and they did this, they did the, pretty much the exact same position, the exact same kind of like qualifications, all the stuff. And there was a fair amount of women that applied. They then did the almost identical and they put two more zeros at the end of how much you'd get paid per year and the amount of women that applied for it drastically fell yeah i agree with you 100 we need to be more confident because we deserve it we deserve the, everything but don't you think it's the job of everyone to make women more comfortable and if we speak oh, absolutely. about marginalized groups also like if we talk about um maybe trans people applying for the jobs that might be a bit intimidating i think it's the place um the job of the places the employment uh, the, the employers to make 
the job appealing to make it comfortable to make it oh, uh, welcoming and not intimidating and it's a combination of both I think I think with that though is to learn why are you intimidated is there anything that like specifically queer people can do better for women like what is it that we need to do well one of my biggest things is that just because I am part of two essentially oppressed groups I am part of the LGBTQ plus community I'm also woman identifying um that doesn't absolve me of my responsibility to be aware of my other privileges and I think there is a big thing within the queer community um particularly the white queer community which is like oh I'm gay I'm this I'm that that means that I can't be racist I can't be sexist I can't be this because you know I'm oppressed so therefore I can't be Therefore, I'm absolved of responsibility for other things. And I think queer people, including everybody in this chat, has to be aware of their own privilege of white. I think for a lot of men in queer communities, that just because you're part of it does not mean that you can't be sexist. The amount of gay men that have like touched me, groped me, all these different things. And it's like, oh, yeah, but like, you know, it's not I'm not attracted to you. It's just because, you know, and I'm like, no, you still did it, though. That doesn't matter what the intent was behind it. You, you didn't ask consent. You didn't get my permission to do it. So no. No, I was to say that's happened to me so much. Like I won't name the club, but a very prominent queer club in London. It's happened to me so many, so many times. And it always just seems to attract like a certain kind of people. Like you say, it's just like, oh, I'm gay, so it doesn't matter. And it's like I've worn a harness out to the nightclub before. And the amount of people would like grab the back of the harness and would like whine into me. And I'm like, no. And they're like, well, I'm gay, so it doesn't matter. I'm like, it- but it does like you can't just grab the back of my harness or like grab my hair sometimes I had like touch me like hit me slap me or like pull my hair for no reason and it's just like I felt really uncomfortable and now I find it very important to to carve out female spaces so and when I say women's I mean um of course trans inclusive well that's not one of the things that I'm really interested in is the fact that my queer culture is so dominated by male queer culture but even though I can tell you so many kind of like male queer icons and stuff like that when I then ask men in the queer community and I'm like oh so who do you know that's like a really prominent you know a queer woman icon and it's like see I know all about yours but you don't know about mine Mm -hmm. and so that's one of the things that I think would be great is just kind of like there's so there's so many amazing queer artists queer performers like shows tvs films like listen listen to the women presenting people because you know there's some great stuff out there but I think within like these groups when you're not person of color when you're a man or able-bodied or cisgender and stuff it's recognizing that like you have to do that work whether you're gay or not you've still been brought up in a society that inherently is sexist and racist and everything else so even if you yourself are not which i want to believe most people aren't most people at least like even within like our friendship groups and everybody we know aren't consciously sexist but they still have been brought up in a society that is sexist and you have to unlearn all of that stuff and I feel like sometimes within the LGBT community because we are already part of an oppressed group and we to an extent because we were all born into a society that is homophobic and then have to learn to not be homophobic because oh crap we're gay um it's almost like you do that groundwork and you think well like oh then I've done it then oh done it checked cool I like unlearn all of that bad stuff. You have to go like, no, you need to go back and also unlearn all the sexist stuff because if you're not a woman, you 
kind of don't have to do that. Same as like straight people don't have to unlearn homophobia unless they actively choose to. And white people have to unlearn racism because we need to all unlearn racism. It's just reminded me like what you said, Farah, like just a really quick point. It's just reminded me how many clubs uh, and bars and like gay bars and things that are so ableist. Like one of my favorite gay clubs, you couldn't get into it if you were in a wheelchair or if you were like, you, you just couldn't. There's no way. The more I think about it, yeah, so many... <laughs> literally any kind of queer space I've been to has been incredibly able-bodied and has been incredibly so like non-accessible for yeah wheelchair users or even people on crutches and stuff like that or I mean there's also so many different things like disabilities that aren't visible. To add to what uh, Farah said about you know the work is not done and I feel like if you call yourself an ally or even if you just feel like maybe you have a little bit more power or maybe a little bit of voice first of all like we need to share it we need to be not just non-racist like we have to be anti-racist you know like I feel like that's very important and it's something that I'm still learning and that's the thing you know it's okay to learn not being scared to make mistakes because that's the only way to learn you know so there is the kindness the empathy of the the process but also holding that accountability like Nina said whilst being kind and empathetic and doing the work yes we do have a lot to balance and a lot of people say oh I'm so tired of this talk about trans rights uh, race this this and it's like it is hard work but we finally are there where we we need to do this work you're used to living in a society that oppresses so many people and benefits from slavery and benefits from the post-colonial countries and everything all the shit you know like we, we can't just cover it up one of the things that i really like that you said though is that you said yeah it's tiring and those people go oh it's tiring it's this and that and it's like well imagine living like that then have you ever had where you have decided to pick a battle and someone has been like oh this again like oh you're going on about this again and you're sitting there thinking if I could if I picked a battle every single time somebody was like a little bit misogynistic we'd never talk about anything else I feel like everyone's got an example of like having had to fight that as well and like having had to fight because no one else would at one point there's got to be a time where everyone's been so angry about something that you've just been forced to raise it because nobody else would and like going back to like when I do my comic con and stuff comic con has naturally always been every time I've been such an accepting place but as is with everything you're always going to have the weirdos and like you're always going to have the people that you just can't trust there was one time that I went a couple of years ago and there was a girl she was wearing it was like a sylveon bikini basically it looked really cute but she was really tired and she was like in her group of friends and she'd like lay down outside to have a nap on the grass and I was sat with some of my friends like a little way off I was sat sort of like facing her and my other friends had got their back to her and there was a guy that was sat kind of diagonal to us and he was bent down behind her taking pictures of her ass, like upskirting her. And he got like a full DSLR setup. It was not like a small phone and you could have done it sneaky. He had a whole big ass camera. And I was like watching him thinking, does she know you're doing that? Like what's going on here? I've got like a massive wing set, so I couldn't move quickly. It was like half my body weight on my back. And I turned to one of my friends and I was like, do you reckon she knows he's doing that? And she was like, well, I'm going to go over and, and I'll talk to her. See if you can go talk to him. So I had to like struggle my my uh, wings and everything off um, and run over to this guy because he'd clocked us um, and he'd seen that we were looking. And then that was kind of like, oh shit, she doesn't know that he's doing that. So I went over to her and my friend went over to him and she kind of managed to alert a couple of the other people in the area and were like, this guy's been upskirting people. And to cut a very long story short, we managed to grab the security guards and had to go and give a police statement and stuff because we went through this guy's camera and he'd got 
thousands upon thousands of pictures of girls uh, in like short skirts or like in a leotard. And he'd taken thousands of pictures that entire Comic-Con weekend and nobody had stopped him. That was a big camera. There was no way you could have been sneaky about it. Nobody had stopped him. Nobody had said anything to the comm star. And thank God that we did actually get the police involved because there were literally thousands. The confidence, the sheer, like the audacity. The audacity. The audacity. It's just, you know, I don't think, first of all, a woman wouldn't do that anyway, but even if, I think it's just like that confidence, even in doing something so wrong, just like, it's horrible, it's disgusting. If he's done that, there are other people doing it. Mm. And there are other people that aren't stopping him doing it. It's the fact that he felt he could do that without even being sneaky. I mean, thank God, like he was out the open, otherwise maybe he might have got away with it. But it's the sheer audacity of mm-hmm. it to feel like he had the right to like women's bodies i was thinking about this about the actively ignoring it as well and also the confidence of it the time when i you were saying about having to like chase somebody or get like you have to do it because no one else is doing it i went to this club with a bunch of friends uh, one of my friends is she's a queer woman she started making out with a girl we've sort of like been dancing for ages so they sort of did their like, little goodbye kiss and i was just kind of waiting kind of close just to make sure that when the girl left that my friend wouldn't be by herself um, and all of a sudden as she's like kissing her goodbye and stuff i see a couple of guys blatantly staring creepily and getting close and i literally was watching them getting closer and closer you you just feel it in your stomach and i was like this is gonna end badly i can see them either being recorded i can see something going like to happen so i tried pulling a security guard and i was like hey like look they're being really perverted they're being really weird like the bouncer was like oh well then maybe they shouldn't be doing that i then became like enraged to the point where i was shouting at this guy and i was like you need to stop you need to back off because no one else was going to do anything my university have a bystander project where basically they get like students could apply for it as like a job and we work as like a little team and when there's like university club nights um we'd go along and we have like a bright blue t-shirt that says bystander on it and it says like prevent and protect and stuff on the back and um we'd also have like a little fanny pack that had like hand sanitizer and tissues and stuff and we'd stand um around like the edges of the club so it's just basically be like a sober friend just to like make sure that everyone is okay and they were being safe but we were also we were looking out for sexual assault honestly like there needs to be something done with how nightclubs i think especially manage because the amount of situations i would see where i'd be like okay i need to step in now because it's my job as well but also i think that if i weren't that doing that job i'd want to step in anyway it's only really my job in that situation to like make sure the students get home safe and to be there as like a helping friend if somebody is there being dangerous or like predatory in some way that's the bouncer's job they are paid a lot more than I was and also like it's their place of work and we have like certain restrictions of what we were able to do and the amount of times that I would see something dodgy and have to go to security because like also part of my job is to delegate to security so that they can do their job be like hey go and intervene there and the amount of times they just be like eh, what, what happens isn't it I think we'll close it up with just something really fun and what is the most ridiculous thing that you've seen in porn i was actually thinking about this and i realized that this doesn't even exist just in porn this is in literally any rom-com the woman immediately orgasming the second just the second penis enters or even first of all no foreplay like the amount of tv shows where they get like hot and heavy and i'm like wait when what 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 point how is she ready to go what i don't understand 
But also then, like, yeah, the second second that the penis enters, it's like, she's done. I feel like for me, there's no particular one thing. Of course, like, there are things that I'm like, mm, that doesn't happen or, like, that's not realistic. But it's just something, I don't want to go too much into it, but it's how every lesbian video of that sort is created more for a male gaze and it's uh, seen through what is arousing or interesting or exciting for a man compared to what actually uh, is for a woman. When I was like watching queer women porn, tell me why I would see these women with strap-ons on, you know, they would be almost be like moaning as if that was their genitalia. And I didn't see anything wrong with that until it was my own personal experience. And I was like, wait, what? And then I realised, going off of what Olga's saying, that interaction is for the male gaze. One of the things that also kind of bounces off of Olga's idea is like, shall we say, the hub. There's like literally all these categories and then there is one category that is called for women as though that is the only thing that women can find attractive. It's like something that we have specifically selected for you for you to find attractive because everything else is made for men. It's like women don't watch porn, but if you do... There is like a little bit that's okay. It's okay to watch for you. Yeah. I think what else? That like it's just utterly scissoring. Yes. I feel some like people it works. Yeah, I'm okay. I don't know if it works for some people or not, but like I've never met anyone that it has worked for personally. No, I'm I, I'm I'm with you, Morgan. Yeah, I I've think, never. I'm I, also with you. <laughs> I think it's maybe emphasized too much. Not as as it shouldn't have as much exposure it has in real life. But it has its place. And I think some people enjoy it more or less. It's more of a preference, but it's not definitely the only way to do mm. it. Whether, yeah. you know, when you're having sex with a woman. But mm. also with that, one of the things really quickly is that sexist tool is purely penetrative. And if it's not, if there's not something going inside something else, it's not sex. I remember when I first came out, like 13, 14, I was met with like, oh, but if you only ever sleep with women, you'll be a virgin for the rest of your life. And I was like, what? (laughs) He was like, well, yeah, because nothing will go in. And I was like, oh, my Christ alive. I remember having um, a discussion with one of my flatmates. If you're listening, Jamie, hi. But... I remember him saying like, oh, but lesbian sex isn't real sex because it's basically just foreplay, right? How do I explain this to you? And he was like, well, that's my personal opinion. I was like, yes, that is your opinion. That will leave it at that. That is your opinion. You know, the joke, I mean, maybe it it should be edited out. I don't know, maybe it's too much. I'm going to say it's It's not really, but you know, I don't know. But it says like, how does lesbian sex work? Well, both people come, you know? So yeah. um, if anyone has a problem with lesbian sex, I'm sorry, but you are missing out. It's not that way around. I feel like that's a great place to finish on, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a great place to end it. So yeah, thank you for everyone for listening. Thank you all of my lovely ladies from the committee for coming on today. You've spoken about some really important things. Um, thank you all for coming on today. Yay, bye. Thank bye. you. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to this incredibly eye-opening and informative episode. Tune in this Thursday to hear our conversation with drag icon Cheryl Hull and TikTok superstar Max Baliak Day. Every week, we chat with various guests about their stories and experiences being LGBTQ+, and get their advice for upcoming students. Now, I'll let you go and get on with your day. But again, thank you for supporting the team of NSP. And I'll see you, Fablo, again very, very soon.